From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Donald Trump lectured world leaders about unfair trade practices during the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland this week, but also indicated that he might be open to negotiating a trade deal with some of the Pacific Rim countries that he spurned last year. Will 2018 be a year of compromises on trade? Or will Trump follow through on his protectionist impulses? My guest today is CQ trade reporter Ellen Ferguson to fill us in on what's been going on. Welcome, Ellen. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, Ellen, what do you think? I mean, is this the year Trump gets serious about following through on his promises during the campaign to be more protectionist? Or does this, pr- this pledge on the Pacific Rim indicate something else? Well, this is a year of deadlines for him. Last year, he signed a number of executive orders that have set in motion timelines for decisions timelines for decisions on national security regarding steel and aluminum, a timeline on an investigation into China's um, trade practices, particularly complaints from U.S. companies of China forcing them to share their intellectual property and technology. That's supposed to be coming, but for steel, around April. Right, and he started the intellectual property investigation last August, so it's they should be well into it. Well, there are different there are different timelines for different things. I believe that has a year long timeline, but the administration would want to move quickly on that. So there are a number of things coming up. So we'll see um, whether the president goes on his on his trade philosophy. Now, on the intellectual property, I think there's speculation that. He probably would try to negotiate with China with holding over China's head the possibility that the United States would get tough on trade and um, some practices uh, and perhaps impose some some, uh, penalties and duties and things. So that's the thing to kind of watch. Steel would probably be another sort of uh, area to watch to see where he's going because there is global concern about China's overproduction of steel. It's not just the United States. There's a global forum put together to try and address China's overproduction. So it would be interesting to see what he does there if he tries to kind of um, cut a path through where he sends the message to China but doesn't trigger any kind of massive retaliation. Right. And steel's uh, an old trade issue that even George W. Bush put in place some protectionist practices uh, for U.S. steelmakers during his administration. But the intellectual property issue is new. And it gets at um, Trump during the campaign, of course, castigated China, played them as the villain. But since he's tried to be more friendly uh, in an effort, I guess, to get them to cooperate with us on the North Korea issue and reigning in North Korea's nuclear program. But he's lately said that he's getting fed up with that. He has said that. And if you look at some of the testimony and comments of Trump officials about China and trade, there's been a concern expressed that China is very bent on becoming a dominant power on cutting with cutting edge technology, artificial intelligence, and a number of other areas. And will go about that through legal and illegal, illegal means. There is a legislation on the committee for um, investment in the United States, uh, CFIUS, to make some changes there when the primary catalyst there is concerned about China. Right, and technology transfer. And 
there are requirements that American companies that want to do business in China agree to partner with Chinese companies who then get access, I guess, to their intellectual property. That's correct. How have American companies handled that? They've been fairly willing to go along because they want access to the Chinese market? That has been the general, I think, uh, response. This is not a new complaint. There were similar complaints during the Obama administration. I'm assuming there were probably similar complaints during the Bush administration. But the companies were kind of divided. Do they want to come forward and make public their complaints and thereby risk perhaps some retaliation from China or being shut out of China because China is still uh, potentially a lucrative market for them? So companies are of two minds, and I think you find different camps around this. There is a general complaint. There are general complaints, but there, I think, some division about how to go about addressing it. Okay. And there was some other news this week. Uh, Donald Trump imposed tariffs on foreign manufacturers of solar panels, as well as washing machines. This, I guess, was also aimed at China. Is that right? To some extent, yes. Particularly on the solar panels, this is part of like a long-running sniping battle between the United States and China. In 2011 or 2012, the Obama administration imposed anti-dumping, countervailing penalties for subsidies on Chinese products related to um, solar industry, I believe. And then China retaliated a few months later, about a year or so later, and put tariffs on U.S. uh, components that go into solar panels. In response to the um, U.S. penalties, Uh, Chinese companies moved in third countries. They set up manufacturing plants in other countries and um, exported to the United States. So the uh, penalties are not as bad as they could have been. In fact, the um, solar trade industry group, which is not happy about the final tariffs, said that the tariffs could have been much higher. So this is sort of an effort to go after those new platforms for Chinese companies. And also the administration has said to China, we're willing to revisit penalties you placed on uh, U.S. companies and uh, see if we can work something out. So there's sort of a door there to try and address and remedy what the United States sees as unfair uh, retaliation by China. Right. And this was... This was uh, begun by two by American companies, Whirlpool, the manufacturer of washing machines, and two uh, solar panel manufacturers who brought these complaints. But as you mentioned, they're not popular with a lot of the rest of industry, especially on the solar side. The Solar Industry Association in the United States said this was a bad idea and is going to cost a lot of solar jobs. Why so? In the industry, there are installers and manufacturers. As I understand it, the installers primarily object. They're bringing in imported Right, and that's components. the big big industry in the United States is that's people putting lar- these panels on their homes. And right, whatnot. that's the larger part of the, of the, of the industry. And it, I think it's true across most industries in the United States. You're going to find it's a mix of domestic manufacturers who either rely on imported components or who... Um, are trying to use domestic source components for their for their products where they would face competition they say from competitors who are relying on cheaper imports so any decision that you make you're going to have supporters who say this is the greatest thing ever or this will be of some help and others who say you just destroyed my business model right and this is creating some odd political dynamics in Washington 
you had Sherrod Brown, who's a liberal Democratic senator from Ohio, coming to Donald Trump's defense because Whirlpool is in Ohio. Um, but you had, I noticed, the Heritage Foundation, the conservative think tank, which has been very supportive of Donald Trump, criticizing his move on the solar panel and saying it was going to um, stymie innovation in that area and raise prices. So it's, a, it's creating an odd political dynamic here in Washington. Fair? Yeah, that's, that's fair. And I think you'll find that with most trade decisions is that it will vary as to who says this is bad, this is protectionist, and those who say, no, the, the, we're finally standing up to repeated abuses by certain c countries. Okay, so let's turn to the big multilateral trade agreements. The big kahuna is NAFTA, the more than 20-year-old deal between the United States and Canada and Mexico on free trade. And President Trump is trying to renegotiate that. Where does that stand? Well, the, right now they're in their sixth round. It concludes on Monday with a meeting of the three top negotiators. That would be Trade Representative Lighthizer, the Canadian Foreign Affairs Minister Freeland, and the Secretary of Economy, Mexican Secretary of Economy uh, Gerardo. That's what Monday will be about for them to assess how far they've come. So far, they haven't really tackled the tough issues of things like origin, rules of origin for cars, or... Where the components are made. Where the components right. are made. So what does the Trump administration want? Well, they want a number of things uh, that have caused the U.S. Chamber of Commerce to even characterize them as poison pills. One of the major sticking points is the United States wants to change the the content for uh, co components in cars. For example, the current one is 62.5%. has to come from NAFTA countries. That would be United States, Mexico, and uh, Canada. Uh, what they want is now 85% of components to come from those three countries, and they want to create a new domestic uh, set-aside for the United States, that 50% of the content come from the United States. So. Canada and Mexico have basically said no, uh, but I understand that Canada may be offering some sort of middle ground or trying to respond to that proposal in the sixth round. The sixth round is critical. It may be pivotal. Um, they're only scheduled to have one more uh, round, I believe, after this. It's somewhat flexible. But I think after six rounds, the United States wants to take a look and and, and decide whether any progress is being made. Trade Representative Lighthizer has been critical of the response so far from Canada and Mexico and has said they're unwilling to engage on major things. A delegation of, of lawmakers, it's a bi bipartisan delegation from Ways and Means, House Ways and Means Committee, which is one of the two major trade committees in the Congress. They're going to observe. In a little bit, the uh, Farmers for Fair Trade, which is a coalition of ag groups that are very concerned and do not want the United States to pull out. Um, generally, agriculture is satisfied with NAFTA. It could be a make or break round. It's definitely a round where the United States will be taking the measure of how far it's come and whether or not there's any further progress that can be made. Well, Trump said he was going to pull out of this deal, so he's not doing that? It's unclear. Um, what you look at now is this kind of concerted campaign by pro-NAFTA industries, agriculture, um, the Chamber of Commerce. They keep 
putting out statements and doing ads and talking about the faces of trade and the um, the effects on the economy. Right. And you mentioned agriculture. That is key. That, We're that, talking about Trump's heartland, the people who voted for him in the middle of the country. That's true. And the other thing, the other development, our Senate uh, reporter, Joe Williams, did a story this week about Senate Republicans starting to discuss ways to kind of do an intervention with the president and maybe ways that Congress might, if the president does try to pull out of NAFTA, and really pulling out means that he's giving Canada and Mexico six months notice. Right. And so, recently there was a delegation of senators from farm states, I believe led by Pat Roberts, the Kansas Republican, trying to make a case to Trump to to leave the trade deals be. Yeah. Um, we mentioned early on in the show about uh, Trump's statement that he's willing to negotiate with some of the Pacific Rim countries. Now, if our listeners remember, he pulled out last year from the Trans-Pacific Partnership. This was the deal long in the making by pre his predecessor, Barack Obama. Um, so what's going on? Uh, I think we'll have to actually wait and see if there's something in writing on this. Because even in the president's speech today, he talked about the new renamed TPP and being interested in it. Then he talked about maybe doing negotiations with some of the TPP members. As I have said, the United States is prepared to negotiate mutually beneficial bilateral trade agreements with all countries. This will include the countries in TPP, which are very important. We have agreements with several of them already. We would consider negotiating with the rest, either individually or perhaps as a group, if it is in the interests of all. So I don't know exactly what his approach is. But the backdrop is that as we've withdrawn from TPP, the other countries involved have moved on, right? They're signing yes, a they, deal. They have moved on. Uh, Japan was very heavily invested in this. It was the second largest economy when the United States was part of, of, of TPP, and now it's sort of the lead uh, nation in this. And the president has talked about in the past, over the past year, of trying to do a bilateral with Japan. And uh, J Japan has, I think, been very polite about it, but they haven't made any sort of movement towards even starting bilateral talks. All right, Ellen, thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you. I'm Sean Zeller. Thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. And please rate us on iTunes. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at CQNow or at RollCall.